God, Rob, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to edit the shit out of this. I'm sorry. <laughs> what happens when you start getting drunk during the podcast? <laughs> We're trying to do a podcast, and you and Santucci are hammered. <laughs> Not hammered. Trying to get absolutely course. entertaining. I'm just saying. Oh my God, you guys are killing me. Welcome to the Modeling Insanity Podcast. guys welcome to episode four i'm robert viezo i want to thank everybody for joining us tonight we have our co-host mr justin ryan hey hey mr steve santucci hola and our guest co-host mr frank the tank blanton hello everybody welcome to the podcast so frankie blanton is taking the co-hosting seat tonight for rob adams who is currently attending the IPMS Nationals down in San Marcos, Texas. We might get a call from Rob Adams during the midst of the podcast. We might not. Last time I checked in with Rob, he was incoherent. Couldn't understand what he was saying. He was, I think, heavily intoxicated. Judging from the pictures I saw, Rob, I don't think he's going to be calling us. He's going to have a greasy belly full of barbecue. He should be ashamed of himself. (laughs) Rumor has it, he might not be in the country illegally. Yeah, that's true. We'll get to that later. Well, you guys know this is a hard hobby for soft men. <laughs> that is true. But I also want to say we do have a guest tonight with Frank Blanton, who's our guest co-host. But we do have a guest, and he's a good friend of mine and a good friend of ours, I should say, Mr. George Ariman. So George will be participating in the festivities. So George, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Hello in TV land. So before we get to George, and George will be our guest interview, I want to say to everybody, thank you for all the support with the Facebook group. We uh, flew past 1,000 members this past week. We're pushing fast to 1,200 members, which is something I never thought of in less than three months. And the level of participation has been fantastic. But because we passed the 1,000 mark, we started our new 1,000-member model contest. So there's about $300 worth of gift certificates available for the, the group members who are participating. And we do have a lot of participants. You see that, Justin, how many people are involved? Yes. And when this podcast gets released, we'll be in the, the runoff. Because we are going to run off the top 10 for the five slots for the five gift cards. Top gift card is going to be $100 to the, the hobby store, online store of their choice. So it's pretty interesting. So this is just a thank you to everybody for all the participation. So again... On behalf of the group, I want to thank everybody for being a part of the podcast Facebook group, as well as you know participating in the contest, as well as listening to the podcast. So we thank you. And it's not just the quantity of participation we are getting. The quality of the stuff in this podcast page is phenomenal. It's, excellent. it's like the best of the best of the best. It's amazing. You know, sometimes you go on some of these dedicated Facebook groups like in my you know, case of being an armor modeler, there are some armor groups and you might only get you know, 25 people interacting with you on a post. 
you know, we're getting a lot of interaction, 30, yeah. 40, 50 interactions, which is great because the participation is there. And I appreciate that. And it's just going to get better. And we're going to push to 2,000 members in the group. And I think that's great. But I do want to say something. And I think that the, the response after the first three episodes was very, very good, very positive. But there are some detractors and some people who didn't like some of the stuff we spoke about. Well, Rob, you know, you can't please all the people all the no, time. No, so. and I like the detractors. I like yeah. being a little uh, edgy. I think that th there's something about our podcast. Like, I understand that, you know, you know, we might not be exactly like the other podcasts, but do you want every podcast, whether it's, you know, in the armor community or do you want to, like, listen to the Hook Rug podcast? Do you want all those podcasts to be the same? I mean, you want people, podcasts to be different. You want personalities. You want yes, topics definitely. that vary in, in opinions but again this particular facebook group who shall remain nameless has specific members in the group that feel emboldened enough to uh say some you know off the wall kind of off the grain things they feel emboldened enough to say some things that can be a little offensive in some ways and one somebody made a comment on this particular facebook group that they listened to episode three, but when they got to the hour and two minute mark, when we kept saying, oh, do what works for you, that turned them off. Because in this particular group, they like to tell people what they need to do to make themselves a better model. And I'm going to say this, modeling, like in life, you will be yourself, right? You're going to do what works for you. So I'm going to make an analogy. If you're a front to back wiper, and I tell you that I wipe back to front, I don't expect you to start wiping back to front. I'm just telling you that it works for me. Now, you might like to wipe your ass sideways. You might like to wipe your ass in circular motions. Sometimes you got to do both ways, especially if you have hemorrhoids. But if it works for you, that's fantastic. You don't need me to tell you how to wipe your ass properly. I'm going to tell you that when I model, when I thin my paint, this works for me. Do what works for you. If you want to try it and you get an epiphany in the middle of the night and say, holy shit, Rob Riviezo wipes his ass front to back. I'm going to now do that. You can do it. But don't say that you don't like listening to somebody say, do what works for you. So again, if I offended some people with the wiping your ass analogy, I apologize. Rob, everybody poops. Right. So that's what I wanted to get out there. So again, Modeling is about trying new things, doing what works for you. If you want to learn and take something from one person and use it and maybe enhance the way you do your modeling and it makes you a better modeler, fantastic. But when someone says, you know what, Rob, you do what works for you, that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing because in life, you have to do what works for you, right? So those are your tips from Uncle Rob today. So George Ironman is our special guest. He's a good friend of ours. He's very well known in the Army community. He's also very well known in AMPS, and we're glad to have him on the podcast. So again, George, give us a little background to yourself. You know, how did you get into modeling? Just, you know, bring us up to speed here. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Enjoyed the first three. I'm not a podcast guy. Uh, so you guys are actually my first podcast experience. George the Modeler, in a nutshell, in less than 35 paragraphs or 55 pages or something. Basically, I started building model cars with my dad when I was about eight or nine years old. And I kind of built a little bit of everything. For a while, I was into like monogram battleships and stuff like that. You know, brush painting them, that kind of thing. I was enjoying it like every little kid does. 
And then for Christmas, when I was 12, I got the first generation Tamiya King Tiger. And something just clicked. And I've been building armor virtually nonstop ever since. When I was in college, I never really stopped, kind of throttled back on it. I'd build on breaks. I'd build, you know, during the summer, stuff like that. You know, I wasn't one of those guys that, you know, all of a sudden I had a girlfriend, I discovered girls, and that was the end of modeling. No, I, I just, I've always had something on the bench in some form. Even when I moved houses, there was something going on. It was funny because when I moved out of my parents' house, I moved to my first apartment, you know, I'm living on my own. And by the end of the first week, I'm sitting in my living room. My then girlfriend, now wife, was in college, so she had her stuff going on. And I'm sitting there going, if I have to watch more regular television, I'm going to lose my mind. And I went back to my parents' house, got all my stuff, filled up my car, reassembled everything in my kitchen, and started building again. And somewhere along the line, I discovered the internet. And one of the guys, his name was Bob Muckley. He lives down in South Jersey somewhere. He put up a thing on, I think it was TrackLink, like TrackLink 1.0, and said, who wants to start an AMPS chapter in New Jersey? I'm like, oh, hell yeah. And we started a club, and that's how I got into AMPS. And I went to the first AMPS National in 99. I've been to every single one ever since. I was there for Night of the Exacto Knives, and those of you who know... The Night of the Exacto Blades is going to be a story that we're going to allow Steve Andriano to tell when he's on the show in the next Well, Steve wasn't there. I thought he was. I was the treasurer of amps at the time. I got a front row seat for this. Well, I thought Steve wasn't there the Night of the Exacto Well, no, Steve was there, but Steve wasn't in on the inner workings of what was happening. Like, he was on the outside. He saw the fighting going on. I was sitting in my dining room looking through canceled checks, and there's a whole lot of interesting stories. But needless to say, there was a lot of skullduggery going on behind the scenes. There were a lot of people who got really, who almost collectively got riled up and went completely apeshit, if you'll excuse the term, over nothing at the end of the day. Right. Well, we got to say this, though. The Night of the Exacto Blades was the night that AMPS, like, fractured as as an organization. Yes. There was a big split in amps and people left or was threatening to leave and there was a big split. Well, also is is that I have the dubious honor of being the shortest termed amps president that amps has ever had because I was president for 72 hours. <laughs> they fucking kicked their ass out right away to like get him out. Was, was the first one assassinated? No, Cookie quit. Oh, uh, that's when Cookie quit. Oh, just down the line of succession, I went to bed one night. I woke up the next morning to find that everybody above me had quit. So technically, I was president for like three days. You shouldn't have quit. You should have stayed on. Let me put it this way. I was thinking real hard about pulling the plug, but I'm glad I didn't. My wife was the one who talked me off the ledge on that one. Now, this is what, 99? No, this is like 2003. Three, okay. Okay, it's 2003, 2004, in that time frame. So overall, the group survived, right? Yes, we did survive. And honestly, to Paul Roberts and the rest of the crew who kind of pulled it out of the fire and made the Amps Nationals what it was that year, I take my hat off to them. It's 20-odd years later. It's water under the bridge now. Honestly, everybody who stepped up that year to help out to, to save the show and everybody who's kind of come into the organization since then I, I love the energy. The only way to put it is the community has exploded in such a positive way. And I know that sounds all like artsy fartsy, you know, kind of hippy dippy kind of stuff. But honestly, is is that I tell people if you missed amps in 2022, you missed probably one of the best amps there ever was. Or 20, I'm sorry, 2023. I'm wrong. Wrong year. This year? Um, yeah, this year was probably one of the best ones they've ever had. It was a great amp show. 2022 was awesome as well, George. I, I do agree with you on that, but 22 was awesome. For a show that got put off several years in a row, it was awesome. 
I was really worried about the fact with COVID that things were going to kind of fizzle and deflate and it didn't happen. And honestly, I know Rob and Steve and Justin and everybody who kind of started doing like the podcast kind of thing and start doing the online, you know, everybody get on the build rooms and stuff like that. I think you guys are to be mended for keeping the air in things, keeping everything effervescent. Keeping the hype up. Keeping the hype, keeping the interest, giving people an outlet. But how many people have we been on the build nights where somebody's having a crisis? Yeah. Somebody's having a really bad time. And all of a sudden, you get this community of guys who are spattered all over the world are now, like, helping them out. We got modeling and mental health. Not a bad deal. So, George, I joined AMPS probably 2018, 2019, and I've been with our local club since 2015. Why would you encourage someone to join AMPS? What's the benefits? I'm going to start with, it's like nothing you've ever joined before. You walk into an AMPS event, and it doesn't matter who you are, where you've come from, and if it's your first time, guess what? There's a room full of friends. I think that on the physical side is fantastic. I will guarantee in writing, and I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again, is that the best thing you can do at an AMP show is sign up to judge. Now, everyone's like, ah, oh, you know, I want to go spend time at the vendors. I want to go do... No, take at least one session of judging. I guarantee you in writing. First off, you're going to make three new friends. Guaranteed. You're going to make three friends right there. And next, when you get up from that table an hour or two later, you will be a better modeler. You'll be better at the craft and at the hobby across the board. You'll see what works, what doesn't work. And also is, is that, and this will segue later, is, is that when you're on the road, you can look up to see if there's an AMS chapter in town. You walk in, you've got friends. Like being in a fraternity. And nicely is, is that now I've seen that we've got a couple of, of women who have joined us. I'm going to make a quick shout out to someone who's a real enthusiastic beginner. He, she belongs to our club, uh, Eva, and she's super, super enthusiastic. She's very enthusiastic. When I did my seminar at the Amps Nationals, she like stayed back and wanted me to show her how to do all this stuff. But she was like so excited mm-hmm. to try things. She's like, give me that Saturn iron. I want to try it. I'm like, all right. I do, I, we had a, there was supposed to be some, uh, what do you call it? Um, things you had to sign to hold this Saturn iron. That, uh, so I'm just like, right. Yeah. We had to sign a waiver. Yeah. But she's like, give me that solder. She grabbed it out of my hand. She starts soldering shit. But she was she, she was definitely very enthusiastic. She's really nice. I'm really looking forward to see is, is you know, if we can figure out a way to bring in younger folks in, into the hobby. I think part of it has to do with money. Part of it has to do with time. Look at the fact of World of Tanks has brought us plastic that we never thought we'd ever going to see. Yeah. There are people building those models somewhere. Oh, yeah. Somebody... Did somebody get a marketing study somewhere and figured out this is what they want? Now we just got to find those people. We got to get them out of their room and get them to our shows. George, just to your question, there are kids out there building, but they're not building what we're building. They're building Gundams. They're building the Star Wars stuff, the gaming stuff. My son, Will, he likes the Russian World War One and World War II stuff, but he has been spending most of his time on those Star Wars gaming plastic pieces. He's paint, He's got like three vehicles already base painted and ready to start working on. We grew up with the World War II generation, the Korean War, and even the Vietnam War generation. So we grew up with all those World War II movies, all those Korean War movies. So they're in. My kids love Star Wars. They're growing up with sci-fi. Right. They grew up with sci-fi. They grew up with Marvels. They grew up with the fantasy. That's where they're at. George, you and I, we know uh, Rich at Kenville Hobbies. Mm-hmm. Most of his foot traffic right now, and I was there today, and he was unboxing another case of Bandai's Gundams because he can't keep them on the shelf. 
Mind you, there were Tamaya kits and Hobby Boss kits of tanks that have been there for years because they're faded by the sun, the box art. That west-facing uh, window he's got, yeah. yeah. Going back to the, the youth and bringing kids up in the hobby to keep it going, a lot of the quote-unquote inner circle of the Insanity guys, you guys know I'm a Cub Master. I'm coming into my last year of being a Cub Master with the pack that my son and daughter are with. We have done, at least the last five years, we have done a model group build. This past year, we did Tamiya mini four-wheel drive cars at AAA Hobbies. Shout out to Jack Lynch. He handled that thing. He had way more kids come in than he thought he was going to get. But no, we built these little cars, threw batteries in them, and raced them on their track. But our first one we did, we had 20, 25 kids. I bought a whole bunch of Ravel snap-together A-10s. And we built them all together on a snowy, cold March day. And I got our picture in fine scale the next month. There are people bringing kids in. I actually have one scout now. We had a swimming event at the local class, uh, swim school. And he wasn't swimming, but we were sitting there talking. And actually, I was keeping an eye on the weather. Uh, we had some inclement weather coming in, so I was like the weather watcher. But he and another scout came over and were hanging out with me. And they took my phone and they were looking at my photos from World War II weekend in Reading. And this kid was naming out every single airplane that he saw as he scrolled through. He goes, these are great. Where was this? I want to go. He's one that will build like we built. And they're still out there. I just wanted to echo a lot of things that George had said about amps. When I was first came into amps, I want to say that was 97 or 98. George was one of the first people I met at amps, along with Steve Andriano, Cookie Sewell, and a lot of those guys that are still there hammering it out all the national shows. But when you surround yourself with people who have a similar passion and a great many of those people are excellent modelers, your modeling levels taken up to another level as well. And like George said, definitely get involved, do a judging shift. You will really learn a lot. And I think it's a fantastic thing. And that, that's been my favorite thing about the hobby is finding out about amps and joining amps because I've been an armor guy for most of my modeling. I don't want to say career, but you know, as long as I've been building models since I was like eight years old, it is a great way to experience the hobby and don't let it intimidate you. Just jump right in with both feet and you will be amazed. Encouraging words from Frank the Tank Blanton. <laughs> Inspirations by Frank. But I want to say this about you, George. And I know you a long time. And you know, yeah. I, you know I know people say, oh, you know, you got to stop getting your friends on as guests, but we had to get you on here. And I, you know I respect you. Your dedication, not only to the hobby, but to the AMPS group in general is... I don't think there's that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Frankie Blanton is a big amps guy, but he's from Virginia. So, you know, that goes without saying. But as a guy in the Northeast, George, who's you're dedicated to amps. I know you also do the New Jersey Historical Miniatures Group. It's like an independent modeling yeah. group. Yeah. But amps in general, you're the head judge at Armacon, which yeah. was formerly known as Amps East, which is our quote unquote regional amp show for the Northeast. I've been there where George has been happy-go-lucky. I've been there where George is telling everybody to go F themselves. So, <laughs> Yes, more than once. The method to the madness of running an AMPS regional show, which you essentially do. So just give, me, just give us a quick background on this, and then we're going to go to your decal company. AMPS East was actually the brainchild of Ed Fortuna 
and Jim Seeky and Matt Toms and probably a couple other people, they began to talk about doing a regional show. And it kind of came to fruition in 2000. That was the first AMC. It was down at Fort Dix back in the days when you can get on the post. Steve Zaloga did the artwork for the t-shirt. As a matter of fact, I was responsible for doing the special awards back then. He actually had the second Amps East was the was the Saturday after 9-11. We held it at a university, I believe, in Connecticut. And I don't know how many people came up, to, the various members of the staff, and said, thank you, because it got them away from their TV sets. It got them not thinking about the, the absolute chaos and horror that was that week and kind of gave everybody a, a chance to breathe. And it was it, there was no real... There was no chest beating. There was none of that craziness. There was none of that, like, you know, complete insanity kind of thing. So there were ups and downs and, and changes. We moved it around a bit. Then in 2008, I was at MosquitoCon, and Matt Toms and the other guys from Amps, Connecticut, because at this point, the New Jersey chapter had kind of folded. We had kind of, kind of disbanded. They came to me, and they said, well, would you be the chief judge? And I said, well, if you'll have me, sure. That was the biggest show we had. Well, little did I know that we, that year, for whatever reason, the Nationals were not down in Harvard Gras that year. I don't remember where they were in 2006. Was it Indiana? It might have been Indiana. I think it was. 2006 was the first time we went on the road, and that was when we went out to Hubbard, Ohio. And then I think 2008, they were out in Indiana. Now, this was pre-internet. It really, we really didn't have a sophisticated judging system. I was running on an Excel spreadsheet, and we got... 250 models one day that was a great show it was absolutely insane show it got to the point where i had models on the floor i had models sitting everywhere any flat surface i could find there were models and i remember at one point a couple of guys come out and said we'd like to help you judge i said i've run out of tables the guy goes i got a mag light in my car yeah and there were four guys with another guy standing over with his mag light on a uh hotel end table that somebody grabbed from their room we're running the show that way. Completely insane. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. I finally have gotten things under control, but we're going to make it. I'm sitting here kind of chewing on this rubbery chicken with the soggy bread with this warm Pepsi. And I'm sitting there next to Matt Toms, who is staring off at the thousand yard stare. I think I have the same look on my face. I said, so do you want me to do this again next year? He doesn't even turn. And he says to me, George, I've been sitting here for the past hour and a half wondering how to ask you that question without you punching me in the face. <laughs> and I've been chief judge ever since. And the next year, I was expecting the deluge. So I got my wife. Yeah, I remember. And then we moved it to a two-day show. We moved it to a two-day show. We got my wife and my buddy Neil's wife, Lisa. And they both came out, and they were my keyboard queens. And we had we didn't have the turnout that we did before. And I just kind of breathed this giant sigh of relief of, oh, thank God. <laughs> but... We've never gotten back to the 250. I'd love to get back to 250 models. That would be awesome. The 2008 show sticks out because I won two best ofs at that show. Well, the (laughs) thing is, is that it was the perfect storm of models. I did good. Yes, you did. You did fantastically well. And you deserved every bit of it. The thing was, was that first off is there was no national show. Then it was a rainy, cold Saturday. So no yard work, no peewee football, no anything else. It was, there was nothing to do. And everybody showed up at the show. And it was insane. It was probably one of the craziest days I've had. In a and I time. traveled to that show with Seamus. Yes. And yes, I thought I he was going to kill me on the way up. Seamus screaming at everybody me. four times a day. That's nothing new. 
But listen, the one question I want to ask is, is how come the Amps East show changed its name to Armacon? Why didn't they keep the Amps East name? So it started off as Amps East. And then we realized that, you know, it'd probably be a good idea to have liability insurance. So we became an IPMS chapter and ran the show as an IPMS Amps joint show. But the problem was, is that we only did armor and armor related stuff. And right. then also amps style judging which we found out later a regional level show is a no-no unfortunately is is that poor doc weissman got pummeled for that and we decided that in order to have a clean break we decided to change the name to ArmorCon, which i think sounds a whole lot better it rolls off the tongue it does definitely i always consider it a regional show though it is a regional show. but you know what it's not listed on the, the amps website as a show coming up yeah, Steve Santucci is our publicity guy, so uh, we'll poke him. And all of and all of his copious free time between, you know, doing all the million other things he does. I just wanted to say, if you've not been to ArmorCon, I went to ArmorCon, and really, it's like a very intimate version of the AMPS National Show, surrounded by, again, a bunch of people who share your passion that are very supportive, and it's a great way to break into the amp scene, but also to break into armor modeling for a bunch of really good people who know what they're doing. At least we pretend to. That weekend's like a vacation for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I really look forward to that show. I don't think I've entered anything in that show in like eight years. And I really, really just like going and just hanging out and helping out and just watching people have a good time. Yeah. That's where my enjoyment especially with that show is, is I like to seeing everybody together, having fun, breaking balls and enjoying themselves. So where is this show held? Southbury, Connecticut now. Yes. Okay. 13th and 14th of October over in Southbury. We've got a, a Facebook page. There should be stuff coming onto it in the next couple of weeks. All right. So let's, we're going to talk about this now, George. So people know you obviously with the amps, but you also have your own decal company. You've been doing decals for as long as I know you in some ways. No, I mean, not as long as I know you, but you've been doing decals a long time. So what's the name of your company again? The name of my company is Decalcomaniacs. Actual name or anything, any self-adhesive item is a decalcomania. And I'm a bit of a nut, as most of, most of you know. If you know me personally, you know. I'm a bit of a nut. And I was like, you know what? That kind of fits. Did you start the company out of like necessity? Was there something that you needed and couldn't buy it somewhere? So you said, you know what, let me make my own? Or how did you get into the doing it yourself? To quote Babylon 5, it was a dream given form. In 1986, I graduated from eighth grade. Now, if you guys do your math, you'll know how old I am. I graduated from eighth grade. And my eighth grade graduation present was Panzer Colors 3, an Eastern Front by Steve Zaloga from Squadron Signal. I got that book. And flipping through the book. There are all these countries that had that had armored vehicles on the Eastern Front. I never even knew about them. I don't know what caught with me, but I, there's a there was a photograph of a line of Bulgarian Panzer IVs that after they had changed sides. So they were overall Soviet green with these white boxes with black X's on them. And I thought that was like the coolest color scheme I'd ever seen. And there were 38 T's with the double arm cross of the Slovaks, and there were Romanians and there were Hungarians. I looked at that and I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I went to try and find decals. Basically be able to build, you know, a Panzer IV or a 38T or what have you with those markings on it. And of course, there wasn't anything. So that kind of rolled around in my head. I would use aircraft decals. I would try to hand paint. And when you're 14 years old, you know how that goes. It had always kind of rolled around the back of my head. And then I read an article in Fine Scale Modeler that talked about making your own decals using an Alps printer. And that's when the light went off. I was living in my apartment. I, you know, I had some extra cash and thanks to a very generous tax return in, I think, 
1997 or 1998. It was later than that. It was later, 99. I went online and I went to eBay and I found uh, an Alps printer. I ordered it. And the guy who sold it to me didn't know what he was doing and sent, and basically it got damaged in train. So he paid for sending it back to the Alps company and I got it back, got a is new that one. company in Switzerland? No, it's not. It's actually <laughs> Japanese, um, it, which is weird. I would expect, you know, something like that too. Nope. Japanese. <laughs> um, but the neat part about that was, is that at the time it was the only printer that could print white and it had the capability of overlaying color layers. So you could tell it, okay, I'm going to print, I'm going to print a white layer and I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell it to print all the other colors over the top. And voila, I had decals. And that's kind of what got me going. And the reason for the company was to pay for all the equipment <laughs> and stuff so I could do what I wanted. Makes sense. That's why I go to work every day. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but this was kind of that, that kind of story. And so I worked, I worked with a couple of the guys. They slowly dropped off over time. But I used the Alps printers through most of the 2000s. The problem was is that first Alps, you, you could buy an Alps printer back in the 90s at like Staples. They were like $600, $800, $1,000 printers, but you could do it. And one, little by little, they just started retreating out of the market. Partially because this technology and inkjets and other stuff was catching up. And this was just kind of a dinosaur and wasn't really designed for any sort of home use. This is like small scale, like graphic artists, stuff like that would use it. And this was just a little too much for what the home user wanted. Also was that the inks, instead of being uh, liquid or like powder, like a laser, actually worked on something that looked like a, uh, a typewriter ribbon. So they were kind of weird on that. They were their own thing. Now they still make them. You can get them from Japan, but they're an arm and a leg. George, what do you use now to do your decals? What, what printer do you use? I I actually use an HP LaserJet printer. Like a regular run-in-the-mill home printer? That's what you yes. use? But here's the thing. I, again, I'm going to age myself. Back when I was in junior high school, we used to have what we called cycles, where you'd have wood shop, you'd have a home ec, you'd have that kind of stuff. One of the things we had was graphic arts. And we had to do silkscreen printing. And I took what I learned in that class. And I turn it into how I do my decals. Uh, unfortunately, is is that the laser jets actually are a technological step backwards because they can't align the images the way you could with an Alps. And basically, is is that I run a set of color through, I take it out. If I have space on the sheet, I then load a white cartridge. It's an outfit called Ghost. Again, if anybody's out there who's interested in this, I've located an outfit in Australia that sells those type of uh, laser jet cartridges at a reasonable price, i.e., they're about a hundred bucks instead of the four or 500 from Ghost. I believe uh, Micromark sells a complete set for like $600, a printer and all the other gear you need. And basically what you do is you pull the black cartridge out, you stab the white one in, you set it to print black only, and print white images out, you put your white images down, you put your color over the top, voila, you have a decal. There you go, see, now we're learning. Now I've had experience with Micromark's decal paper, which is what I use uh, for my commercial products and my own work. And the only reason why I use them is because they're here in New Jersey. So I order it on a Tuesday. I get it on Wednesday or Thursday at the latest. And also is, is that I can order it at 11 o'clock at night, which is really, really useful. I can hop online, bam, bam, bam. I can order it. It's on its way. I used to use bare metal foil. Their service is fantastic. People who work there are great. The problem is, is that they're a mom and pop, which means that if they have to run out to the store and you call two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, you might not get them. Or late in the afternoon on Friday, they pack up. They're like, nobody's calling. We're going home. They're not a business. They're regular people who happen to be running a business. And when Micromark started selling their stuff, I'm like, dude, I got to go to this. It's easier. They are more expensive, but it makes my life that much simpler. So that's why I do it. George, if someone wants to get decals printed, what do they got to do? How do they get in touch with you? 
what do we got to do to uh, to get our custom decals done? There are two ways to do it. I'm kind of unconventional, and part of it has to do with the fact that my life recently has been kind of crazy. And I've just, I, and I'll be honest, I'm lazy. I'd rather build models than actually do like, you know, like work. Well, of course. <laughs> so I do not recommend trying to get in contact with me through my website. It's decalcomaniacs.net. You want to see what the internet looked like in 2000? Go look at my page. I haven't done anything with it, and I really should. Best way to get a hold of me is either to contact me on Facebook, decalcomaniacs, that's who I am, or contact me directly, George Ironman. I'm, I don't think there are any other me's out there. Send me a PM. We'll talk. The other play, the other way is I do have a, an eBay web store, and part of the reason why I do that is it just makes life so much easier for me to list stuff. It also gives both me and the buyer a little bit of insurance where Definitely. if something goes wrong, we, there's some place to adjudicate this. So, for example, uh, and I'm going to use me because I've got an idea for a build. Can't find the decals anywhere. I have a 72nd scale Hell Diver that I want to do in an Atlantic scheme. Okay. To get you to do decals, to have you do decals, do I have to supply any artwork? Do I just have to tell you the idea that I have? What information for me as a customer do you need to make our vision happen? So, we're going to take your Hell Diver idea. First off is we're going to play with some hypotheticals. Just let's say yeah. for the sake of argument, the particular squadron that, that you want to do has the star and bar insignia, but yeah. instead of having red around the edges, it's got yellow. Right. Okay. okay. Now, if you can find me a photograph, a drawing, a something that I can start with, where I can start the design work, that would okay. be great. Okay. Um, sometimes I get things where time is, is people saying, hey, this is a photograph of this aircraft. The things I'm going to need from you, number one, what squadron is it from? The nice part is, is that U.S. government publications are copyright free. Other countries, not so much. So we got to, so we got to be careful with that because that can get into all sorts of weird legal places, with the, which I don't want to go. If you can get me some information on a photograph, a drawing, a something that I can work from. Next thing I'm going to need from you is I need to know how big that thing has to be. When I say this to people, and, and they kind of look at me funny, um, is the fact that the model, you know, you say, okay, this lettering is supposed to be four inches tall, so one thirty fifth scale is supposed to be this size. If you put that on the model, it looks weird because the model's not quite right. Your model may be 134th and a half, and now they look too big or too small or too whatever. So when we're going through the design process, I'll start making prototype designs, and I'll make them. You said it's supposed to be two inches long and one inch high. Okay, fine. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to make them 10% bigger and 10% smaller. I'm going to give you three of them. I'm going to send them to you in a PDF, and work them out on your regular printer, cut them out, and put them on the model. Make okay. sure that it looks right. My job is when you are done with this process, first off, you're going to hate my guts because you've had 10,000 emails back and forth. <laughs> the other part is, is that when you put them on your model, you're going to be like, damn, that looks good. Right. And nobody else has it. Exactly. So that's kind of my whole process. Okay. George, uh, I got to speak to your decal making ability because you've done three custom decal sets for me. For my uh, former armored cav troop, Troop C, 1A, 3rd Cav, Virginia Army National Guard, you've done white and you've done black. You've done squadron numbers. You've done bumper codes. I gave you very rudimentary information. I was like, well, about the size of what you would see on a TAMI, a 135th scale decal sheet. And you've printed them off. You've sent me proofs. Everything looked good. I ordered the sheets. They've come back and they've worked great. So my experience with you has been phenomenal. It's been great. It's, it, there hasn't been any hitches at all. A couple of times we've gone back and forth on some Star Wars decals for some of my X-Wings. And you've asked me for exact 
measurements and sizes and those things are easy to get to measure size, but it really is very easy to work with your company. And I actually learned something tonight. I did not know it was decalcomaniacs. I thought it was a little bit different. They've been really good quality decals and I really appreciate it. You've done a great job with my stuff. I'm happy you're happy. And this is one of those going back to Rob's question when he said, you know, kind of gave, you know, give my bio is that I grew up in the age of Francois Verlinden. Nothing wrong with Francois stuff. His quality was always spectacularly good. The problem was he didn't, there wasn't much in the box and they were expensive. When you were a kid who got, you know, $5 a week for allowance and the welding set was 15 bucks in 1984, you saved for weeks for this and you got two bottles. Or you got, you know, little bits, you know, not very much that came in that box. On some level, I was like, no. Um, I always give extra, I, I normally, if there is an insignia that goes on a model, and there's supposed to be two of them, there's a third one on that sheet cell. Cover you if something goes wrong. I believe in delighting the customer. Very early on, some of the ink that I used in my printers were really thin. And I had a couple of people come back to me, and I'm like, you know what? Not a problem. Give me a week, I'll figure this out, and I'll get you a set to fix it. Because that's how I want to be treated. Absolutely. Now, George, average price point. No, we're not, you don't need to be specifics. What's the average price point for decals from your company? Just so people can plan their project out. My regular run of the mill, five and a half by eight and a half sheet is $12. Okay. Plus shipping. The 170 second scale stuff is nine bucks. And I've got a couple of bigger sheets, one of which needs to get relisted, actually, that covers Arab armies from 1948 to 1973. And it's all kinds of numbers and insignias and all kinds of stuff. I think that's the most expensive sheet I've got. I think it's like $22. Okay. So we're going to make sure that everybody checks out the Calcomaniacs. Is that how we say it, George? I'm going to hijack this more than I already have. <laughs> but for the listening public out there, for those of you who are armor guys, who are tank guys, I've got a question for you. What would you think of M1s in foreign service? Swazis, Egyptians, Iraqis, and Moroccan M1s. Possibly Ukrainian, if I can get enough information. Or if you out there get me information, we can do this. Now, this is the other cool part of the company's me. I build what I want, and I print what I want. If you've got a good idea, I'm willing to listen. And if you're willing to help, I'll give you a discount. I got no problem with this. The more you help me, the more I'm going to help you. Justin? I'm seeing hippie tanks in Vietnam coming out of decalcomaniacs. References. Get me references. Get me pictures. Yes, I'd be happy to do them. I'd love to do Purple Haze. I'd love to do Funky Ride. I'd love to do that stuff. But I don't have enough info, and I don't know if I've got enough of a market. Because one of the things that happened to me, and I'll say this up front, is that small-scale guys, I'm really sorry. I'm going to pick on you for a minute. I got people begging me for 172nd-scale decals. I spent a heck of a lot of time and a hell of a lot of work on them. Got so we want everybody to reach out to George. George, you know, you've been, you do a great job with the decals. So that's why I've spoken about him before on an earlier episode. So look into decal comaniacs for any custom made decals or check them out on eBay and see what George has for sale as well as this Facebook store. Right, George? Well, I don't have a Facebook store. I got a Facebook page. So Facebook you know, just, page. Uh, just shoot me, uh, you know, a, a message and we'll talk. I'll start doing my research for my Atlantic Helldiver. Sure, absolutely. All right. So again, George, I appreciate, you know, talking about the, the Calamaniacs as well as Amps and also your background. I think it was really great. So we're going to move on. So we're going to do our Friends of the Podcast to break up segments. So again, I want to first talk about a company that I spoke about before on a previous episode, but I want to give him a big shout out again because he recently just sent me a, a set of 148 scale tracks to try out to see if they're any good. And they were phenomenal. 
Um, he does amazing 3D printed barrels, accessories, and that's Demon Barber Design. That's Christopher Nielsen. He's out of Sweden. He's fantastic. His tracks, his barrels, his stuff is second to none. Frank, I know you wanted to say something about them too. Listen, I jumped in on his webpage uh, a couple of days ago, and the stuff I saw on there was phenomenal. A lot of T-34 accessories, a lot of German tank accessories, the exhaust pipes for the Tiger and the Panther series, some really nice stuff. Definitely check them out. He's got great exhaust for the Panthers, Tiger 2s, air intakes for T-34s, T-34 tracks, Panther 3-4 tracks. Again, amazing stuff. If you need anything for Russian armor, German armor, give him a try. Demon Barber Designs. You will not be disappointed. People are like, ah, oh, where does the barber come from? Because Christopher was a barber. Yeah, he's a barber, I think, in Sweden. He was a barber here, but he also is a great modeler as well. And he's amazing, obviously, CAD designer, as well as, you know, 3D printer. So please give him a shot, okay? So we're going to move on. We're going to go to our topic. And George, even though you're our guest, just like we did with Andrew Misi, you're going to be participating in this topic. Frankie Blanton is known to be on the road a lot for his job. And because he's on the road a lot, he has to build a lot on the road. So our topic tonight is going to be about what we do if we need to build on the road and what we do to be successful at it. So Frank, why don't you start and let everybody know what Frank the Tank Blanton does to build on the road. So generally, I'll just take a few tools with me. I keep it simple. I got a knife. I got some sprue nippers a couple of files, a selection of files, and, and a bottle of glue. And that's pretty much it. You know, I'm doing some assembly work. I'm doing a lot of those mundane tasks where we're cleaning road wheels, those, uh, quote, mojo killers, unquote, things that seem to take a lot of time. We'll get that stuff out of the way. I will build up lower hulls with the suspension arms, shock absorbers, do some road wheels, get all that stuff out of the way, pack that back in the box, and I'll save that kit for later on. I put it in my meager, and I mean meager with capital M, stash. I have a stash of about 18 kits. I know those are rookie numbers. I hear you guys out there in podcast land going, wow, that guy's lame. But I live in a very small <laughs> spot. I got to have a small stash. But that affords me the opportunity to have a latest release stash. So I've got some real quality kits in there. Also surrounding myself with so many great modelers through podcasts and through amps clubs and things like that. You know, I'm able to pick up on a lot of things. I don't have to waste my time with kits that are going to take a lot of time or have a huge parts count. My time is limited. I am on the road quite a bit with my sales job. So I want to do something that is not going to take up a huge amount of time. I think the longest model I ever took putting together was the Fine Molds Millennium Falcon, 172nd scale model. Spent months just painting that. In each pie section, I spent months detail painting it and everything. And that was great. It was a nice blank canvas. But sometimes, you know, you're just in a mood to build. When I am out on the road, I will take an Optivisor with me. I'll take a small cutting mat and a small work light. And uh, lately, I've been modifying uh, coffee cups in the room to hold up my uh, cell phone so I can get on chat groups and build rooms <laughs> with guys in the evening to keep me company because most of the areas I travel in are very rural areas, not a whole lot to do. I'm in a company vehicle. I'm not going to go out and party. I'm going to enjoy my hobby, and I'm going to enjoy it with a lot of people. 
Frankie, I got to get you a little tripod. <laughs> I got a tripod, but I like to keep it simple. Easy I like there. to keep it short. And I like to just take some of the items that I don't do a lot of painting or airbrushing on the road. Now, I do know from visiting Facebook pages, some friends of ours who do a lot more than that on the road. And I applaud that. And I think it's great. Modeling is great modeling, no matter what you're doing or, or no matter where you are or what you're modeling on. It's all good stuff. But for me, I find it it's very simple to keep things going, kind of simple. Now, there is a week-long event, which I'm associated with, with the AMP Central Virginia group. I am a founding member of that group. 24 years ago, we started a thing called the uh, AMPS Retreat, and we rent a log cabin that sits on top of a hill in a wooded area on Fort AP Hill. It overlooks a lake out in the woods, and there's 18 to 20 of us, and we're modeling for five days. We have a south-facing sunroom that's full of windows on one side. You get a lot of natural light in. You're there for five days watching movies and modeling. And that gets a little more involved. You definitely take a lot more things with you. You definitely take some painting things and, and some stuff like that. But traveling and modeling, it's very easy. It's not very complicated. You just have to decide what you want to do and how far you want to get into something. A little pre-planning. I actually just went on a vacation with the family myself. Actually, years ago, I created a little kind of a, like a bug out kit little Harbor Freight toolkit full of some figures and some paints. And I brought that along and a uh, wet palette. Playing on the evenings when we're all trying to unroast from the sunburn at the beach, you know, sitting back with some pina coladas or whatever. Figured I'd do a little figure painting and whatnot. It was fantastic. Had a nice little area in the room set up. Laid the paint out. Forgot my white. I couldn't lighten any of my colors. So I was pretty much limited. Somehow it didn't make it into the kit. So, but yeah, I do have the uh, the little little go kit. I don't like the idea of bringing a whole kit to build, but that's why one of the things I got into with figures is you could take a whole bunch of figures. You have a whole choice for the whole week that you're gone. You, you've got choices. So in my go kit, I have a bunch of figures built and primed. They're just kind of my practice figures. I, I totally understand that, Justin. I've got several model kits that I've started on that are in my stash that are mostly built. And honestly, when I get back to them, I found that, hey, surprise, this is halfway assembled. Maybe it's just <laughs> some painting work need to be done, but it's kind of a nice thing. Yeah, definitely. Now, me being like figures slash mainly aircraft, the aircraft gets a little hairy trying to pack it all back in a box and not destroy it on the way back home. But that's why I stick with just taking figures with me. <laughs> Funny part is, is that probably 15 years ago or so, I got the bright idea of taking a model with me on vacation. For those of you who don't know, my wife is from Brazil. My, my extended family is in Brazil. So we go down for every other Christmas. So I started packing a model with me because I don't speak Portuguese. I've tried for a zillion years and still haven't been able to even be rudimentary. So my wife is my primary translator. And so by the end of the day, she's exhausted. Also, the reason why we're going down is so she can spend time with her mom and her brother and her, any, any other family members who happen to be around. So, you know, why are they going to speak in English when I'm sitting there? So I kind of like exit stage left. I go and work on a model for an hour or two. You know, I've, I've built a bunch of models. As a matter of fact, BTR-50 that was in Comrade You'll Scare the Fish was actually built almost in its entirety on my mother-in-law's sewing desk in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That's awesome. 
So I've done that with a bunch of models over the years. And honestly, yeah, you do need a small kit. What I've done is over the years, I brought tools down and I have a little box down there. And the only thing I'm really bringing is probably the kit itself, maybe a couple of fresh emery boards and, and a new container of glue. And I use the Tamiya Extra Thin because that's got every language known to mankind on it. You can put it in your checked luggage while the uh, TSA is going to open your bags and look. They have, they, I keep getting the little tags to say, we looked in your bags. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, I know what you're looking for. I know what you found. No big deal. You know, when Steve Touche is doing an archaeological dig, I know off out of the frame of the camera, there's some plastic spruce sitting there. He's smiling right now. <laughs> I know he, he knows exactly what I'm talking about. You, you've just been outed, Tooch. <laughs> so, you know, you're talking about this, and we brought it up the other night. When my parents got divorced, my father had made a big, huge order from ProBass, a, a catalog. And the stuff arrived at the house long after they were divorced. And there was this enormous tackle box. Go up two and then three and it was deep and it held two levels of paints you know the tamaya paints esters you name it a polyester i still have from the 80s and my mom would go to her parents house because they were sick and they were up there in their age so i pick it up and go home, spend the whole day and i find a corner somewhere in, the, in my grandparents house and everything i needed was in there my tools my paints sandpaper glues everything i just had the kit in the box and that's what i did all through the late 80s you know even at home when i was at home i had my table in the basement, but that's where everything was contained for me, supply-wise. I still have that tackle box today. Of course, in 2014-15, I built a workspace, everything stored, and I still keep it. I don't want to let it go, because you just never know. Even up until 2014, when I started getting back into the hobby, because I left in the mid-90s, I was still using it. There's photographs of me and my young sons on the kitchen table with it, and it's sitting there, <laughs> and we're building models. I know Rob Adams is smoking meat all the time, but you know he's he's got to be sanded road wheels or, or something, like a, a nose cone or an F-18. Oh, wait, no, an A-10. Sorry. He's doing shit on the fly, too. You know who Rob Adams is when he's smoking stuff. Well, dude, he's hammered half the time when he's, dude, when he's smoking his meat, though. You know, and Rob Adams isn't here to defend himself. And this is a great opportunity to start talking some really, you know, shitty things about him. So who wants to start? Now, I thought, um, I thought he was supposed to call in from the barbecue tonight with all those uh, pudgy men. Now he's got the meat sweats at this point. We're going to see if he calls in at some point and we'll know if he calls in. But for me, when it comes to, you know, modeling on the road, I'm lucky enough to have my own office at my job with a door that doesn't have a window on it. No one from my job is listening to this. So I do have like my nice double lighted art light at my job that's always there. So I'm always ready to do grunt work when I'm at the job. So, you know, people know me. I, you know, how I build crazy shit. But I do grunt work at the job. If I have a slow day and it, there's nothing going on, I got my Xacto blade, pack of 100 blades. I got my knife. I got my nipper. I got every sand stick that I need grit wise. I have about five or six or seven different size Ziploc baggies. If anybody would think they could think I was selling drugs, I got so many baggies on me. <laughs> I got my baggies and I do grunt work. When I say grunt work, I'm cleaning wheels. I'm cleaning up parts and cleaning up seam lines and putting them in baggies. People, you know, somebody asked me one time, I think um, it was on one of the build days, I think, too. So like, like, what are you doing? I clean up. What I do is I clean my models up. I clip all the parts off the sprues. I clean them up. I put them in bay. Oh, George, you saw me doing this. Yes, that was that was the last build day when we were over at Jim Gould's house. That was Horace who asked you. Right. I'm sitting next to George and our buddy Horace. Frank, you, what's up? 
I just want to say, do you have any idea what a dime bag of Sherman Road Wheels brings street value nowadays? Time out. I got to say something, Frankie. Are you drinking some high-quality scotch right now? Because you're starting to slow your words a little bit. Are You You and Tucci are drinking right now. I should just get that out there. No, disclaimer. Santucci's phone is like six to, six to six beer. And Frank the Tank, and we're going to wonder why, you know, Frank is going to wind up finding himself in a bathtub again. That's a story in a little bit. But <laughs> Frank, we don't need you passing out right now. I'm telling a story. Well, anyway, so I do grunt work when I'm building on the road. I, I clean tracks. I put tracks together. I do road wheels. I clean my parts. I never glue when I'm not home. I'll clean all my parts up. I put them in baggies. I'll label it if I need to. And that's it. I don't do anything. No gluing, no painting on the road. Nothing nothing like that. If I finish a kit and I just grab a kit, I know I'm going to have some time at the job or wherever. I'll take like a kit that I know I'm going to build soon. And then I clean up the parts, clean up the road wheels. And then when I open up the box, I'm like, holy shit, I already did the road wheels. Thank God. I don't have to worry about doing all the suspension. I got it done already. So to wrap up this uh, this on-the-road modeling conversation, uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to a little hobby shop I found in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, Ed's Hobby Shop. That's literally what it's called. Little shop. Not huge selection when it comes to kits. It does look like it is mostly like RC-centric. But the the crew inside there, they were fantastic. They were fun to talk to while I was there. I just I I told them that I'd have to give them a shout out. It's uh, so if you're in Myrtle Beach and you're aching for some on the road modeling and you didn't bring anything with you, go hit up Ed's Model Shop over there. It's uh, on Main Street in Myrtle Beach. I know that you were kind of happy when you were down there. You're like, oh, cool that you like hit that little hobby shop. Hey, it's always nice to support those brick and mortar shops. And that's why I went. I don't need any more kits. But I wanted to support the little shop to keep the little guys going. Yeah, you get there, you got you got to throw a little. And you got that one kit for a really good price. Compared to my local shop, AAA Hobbies is showing the Tamiya F14A for like 120 plus. I got the, the 48 scale Tamiya F14A for $98. What the hell does AAA Hobbies got the balls to sell that kit at full MSRP? They're a fucking distributor. Sorry, I just cursed. They're like a this this Stevens International. They should be selling that at, at a Sprue Brothers cost. They shouldn't. Is that that's what Squadron used to do? They used to undercut their the people they were distributing to. It looks like AAA has taken the road of we're not going to screw our clients. Well, keep in mind, AAA is also related to the MegaHobby.com. Right. They, they are Mega Hobby. Yeah. Well, it's three independent businesses. Yeah, but, but they're, they're all, all under the same location. roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're all under the same roof. It's the same people. At Steven International is the distributor. AAA Hobbies is the brick and mortar. And Mega Hobbies is their online store. Now, do you remember where Mega Hobbies used to be? It used to be out on Long Island. Oh, dude, I mean, I'm not the historian. This is why I brought you on. <laughs> uh, but they used to be out on Long Island. Somewhere along the line, they acquired them. But yeah, and Justin, you make me feel a whole lot better because I thought I was the only kook out there that when I went on vacation, I went to hobby shops. I thought I was the only one. Chris Green, who travels Europe for work, wherever he goes around the world, he finds a hobby shop. He was in, I think, Kuwait two years ago, and you know, because of their faith, they had to close down for part of the day, but came back, and he must have talked to the owner of the shop for like two hours. He's been in Poland a few times, and he said he's tried to find JDR Hobbies, and he found he, he thought he had the right address and found a different hobby shop. I went away. I Fortunately, there was no hobby shop in Ocean City, Maryland. 
But I've gone to like a Hyannis Port, found a hobby shop. I've, you know, Boston, Philadelphia. I always look for a hobby shop. Um, I got made fun of because I was actually, when Neil and Lisa got married, Neil Stokes and his wife, Lisa, got married. They got married down in the Keys. And one of the other members of the wedding party actually asked me, had I checked out if there was a hobby store on the Keys? I'm like, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what's weird about the Chris Green thing? Is that when he was in Poland, because you know he knows I love Jadar Hobbies, and I'm like, you know, I think I pay their rent. <laughs> the ironic thing is, he's in Poland, and he's in like Warsaw or wherever Jadar is. He can't find it. He goes to the address. It's not there. Oh, and it's he found a hobby shop, though. He did find a hobby shop. He found a hobby shop. He didn't find Jadar. Like, no, he, he found like, it in the back of a paddy wagon, I thought. Well, yeah, that's another story that's for another day. But that's an Oricon story. But the fact that he was in that area, had the address, got dropped off by like a cab at that address, and he goes there, and there's no hobby shop. But Jadar exists. Yeah. I mean, I still got like a $600 order outstanding with them right now. I freaking messaged Michael Ted Miguel or whatever his name is today, asking, did you forget about me? It exists, but it doesn't exist it's like very weird maybe it's like one of those speakeasies where you got to go in and like give a password and yeah, you go not into gonna the basement. tell them joe sent you all right i want to say something here and i wanted to talk about and we're going to piggyback this is not a topic but it was something that i wanted to bring light to if no one knows about it because i didn't know about it i mean i knew about it but i didn't know about it and it pains me to give george <laughs> recognition I don't uh -huh. like giving any of my friends recognition because I like to be the top dog in the friendships. Everybody knows that I have an enormous, well, model collection. Long model collection. Stash. I'm, I'm glad you went there. A photo etch. Yeah, right? yeah. Qualify so, that enormous remark, please. Yeah, enormous. <laughs> right. So I have a plethora of photo etch. Good word. To the point where I don't know what I have anymore. And I just put these orders in. And I'm like, Jesus, I got like fucking three of these already. I didn't even realize it. And I'm spending a lot of money on this stuff. And I literally have like four or 500 sets of photo ads between Abar, ET models, uh, Voyager, whatnot, part, hauler. And George one day is like, why don't you just use Scalemates to catalog all your stuff? Yes. He goes, it's so easy. All you do is put like the manufacturer name or like the item number in and it'll pop up. You add it to your stash takes two seconds i'm like nah i go i don't need to do that he goes trust me because i was going to do this by a piece of pen and paper he's like trust me rob this is amazing so i always thought scalemates was like oh i put a kit in and then i see if it's available through scalemates i didn't realize that it was like a stash thing where you put your stash in i'm sure people listening here is like you're an idiot Riviezo. you should have known this <laughs> but if you don't know about it it's one of the most amazing things for a modeler to ever use so i was able to catalog my entire photo at stash through scalemates and which is amazing is is like you can just click a button and you, like let's say you want to know like how much stuff you have for like your stug or for a, like your abrams or you know whatever you, like if there's any photo what you would have for a plane you just click on that plane and it'll tell you everything you have for that particular variant it's amazing so again I highly recommend people cataloging what they have, whether it's their kits, their aftermarkets, their tracks, anything into Scalemates. It's amazing. Now, Rob, to jump on the back of that real quick, George, you can actually manage your stash in Scalemates. So if you have something in progress, you can mark it in progress, and then you can mark it complete when you're done with it. And it moves it out of your stash. Yes. 
It's pretty amazing. I got to say, I'm getting really hard right now. Just, I'm just saying the the boner index is pushing ten. <laughs> we're now going to push it to eleven. No, because then we're all going to see it. Oh yeah, <laughs> is that now, Rob? You see, is there's another part to this that I didn't tell you about because I waited. It's kind of like the Venus flytrap. Once I got you in, now I'm going to close down on you. What is this? It's that you can look at my stash. I can look at yours. Right. If I know your username. Right. Exactly. And the thing is, is that I could be like, Rob, I'm going to build an XYZ. I see you've got five of those. Can I buy one off you? Yes. Or, George, I see you've got an extra set of, of model cast and stud details. How much you want for it? Right. That's pretty. It is pretty cool. Yes, which is really, really useful. Or when you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm thinking about this kit. You know, do you have it in your set? Oh, yeah, sure. Go take a look. So you can you can do that back and forth. And the best part about it, you can look at it on your phone when you're standing in front of a vendor at a show. And you know if you got it or not. Right. So I highly recommend anybody out there listening, doesn't matter what part of the hobby you're in, armor, aircraft, ship, whatnot, scalemates.com, catalog your stash. I highly recommend it. It's amazing. And it took me no time. I mean, I, I catalog like 600 pieces of photo etch, like another 150 sets of tracks. And it took me, you know, a couple of days, but maybe only, you know, five hours to do it. It was freaking fantastic. I was like, boom, 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 boom. I was banging it. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't bother me. I'm fucking doing my stash. <laughs> Here's the other part. And, you know, I don't want to get morbid about this, but the fact is that none of us are getting any younger. Oh, we're going to talk about dying again. We talk about this all the time. Yes. And the thing is, is that you know, when the time comes when we shuffle off this mortal coil, someone's going to have to do something with this. Someone's going to have to. Nobody's going to live long enough to build their stash. Let's be honest. No matter what fantasies we want to tell ourselves, well, maybe Frank will, but you know, Frank's weird. Frank's only got eighteen kits. Guys, how in the hell did we get here? How did we get to this point? I mean, <laughs> we were fifteen. We were just building a kit on the weekend after cutting someone's lawn and getting a few bucks for cutting the lawn. And we go out and we buy a monogram TBF Avenger, and we come home, we build it. How did we get here? How do we have all these models? So now we got to catalog our stash, and we got to count every piece of photo etch to catalog that. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's because true. Because if you can't <laughs> quantify it, it doesn't count as fun in the adult world. Um, Bob had to because he, he was buying duplicates of what he already had. He has duplicates of duplicates, and he's still buying duplicates of his right. duplicates. <laughs> I literally have, like, one particular set. I have, like, eight of them. And I just bought another one because I forget that I got it. Rob, what is it? I got to know. It's one of the Aber Stug 3G update sets. You knew it was a Stug 3 thing, just like me with Sherman's. It was him yeah, with Stug. I'm a Stug guy, so. I mean, we know. Like, all right, you know what? Stug life. We're going to move on from Scalemates. I just wanted to get that out there. So let's just talk about what's on our bench right now and what we're working on quickly, just so everybody knows an update of what we're doing, if there's any cool things we've done. And we'll start with you, Justin. So I actually have uh, several kits going at one time, uh, all in various stages of disarray. Right now, hot on the bench is a pair of Civil War figures. It is an ICM kit. I think it's Brothers at Appomattox. I can't remember exactly uh, the name of the kit. 35th scale Civil War soldiers. They are being prepared for the Artist Preservation Group show at Gettysburg in two weeks. Uh, so I got to get hustling on these figures. I'm going to go out there. There's a painting class being held by Scale 75. 
and then uh, display only show in the visitor center at Gettysburg. Family's coming out for the weekend. I'm going out for the painting class Thursday, Friday. After that, I got to get this A6 intruder, the Ravel A6 intruder. I want to get this done. Uh, I want to take it out to PenCon in mid-September and hopefully PaxCon in October as well. So those are the two hot ones that I got on my bench. I am also working on the Academy AH-1 Viper. I'm doing that one in a G.I. Joe Tiger Force paint scheme. You guys remember back in the old days, G.I. Joe, and they had the special Tiger Force. I got the, the armaments all painted up in red, and it's got the pet Tiger paint work on it. So it's, it's actually coming out pretty cool. So that's like a slow, long-term project. That's what I got going. All right, Georgie, what do you got going on? I am actually grinding towards the conclusion of the saga that has been the Mini Art Panzer 3D. This is not a lot of adjectives. Yes, um, (laughs) because it is not a kit for the faint of heart. It has been a tough slog. 1,200 and something odd pieces in a box, if my memory serves me correctly. Mind you, 600 of those are the tracks. In order to preserve what little shreds of sanity I have left, I actually swapped the tracks out. I did a set of Ferrelli tracks just about the time they announced, oh yeah, we're not going to be doing these anymore. It's pretty much, I'm going to say, it's 90% out of the box stuff. It's mainly what's in the kit. I've had to do a couple of little tweaks. And again, I am not opposed to pumping my friends up in a good way, not in a weird kind of bad touch <laughs> sort of way, is I want to thank Rob from the bottom of my heart for giving me that bag of German tool clasps. That has been an absolute godsend, this project. Hey, no one wants to listen to me. I'm, I we listen to you all the time, <laughs> saying silly stuff all the time. I told you I'm a good friend. Yes, I know you are. That's why. That's why. I, that's why there's a kit sitting on my dining room table with your name on it. Just, and, and I, and I, same thing for you. And remind Santucci this this ungrateful bastard breaking my chops all the time. He's a real jerk. All right, Frankie B. What do you got going on? Oh my God, I I just gotta say I love being here with all of you guys. You guys are awesome. All right, so we know Frankie's getting really drunk because he's doing <laughs> I love yous. It's okay. I don't want you getting emotional. I don't want you to start crying tonight, nope, Frank. Nope, nope, nope. And I'm I do not, not want you nunk. going anywhere near the bathtub. I'm not getting anywhere near the bathtub, but I do say I love you guys. So I did the uh, Valentine and the Mission Models uh, Contra scheme. I used the Mission Models colors, but I did tweak the uh, silver gray to change the tone just a little bit. But I've got three things working on my bench at the moment. The M48A5, the Valentine. I have finished the M41 Walker Bulldog for the Virginia Army National Guard Historical Society. So that's pretty much it for me. How is the M48A5? Because I've got the DML kit in my stash. I've been kicking around the idea of maybe getting the TACOM kit. I'm not really sure at this point because I want to do a New Jersey National Guard tank. The TACOM kit is very, very nice. I highly recommend it. Take your time with it. Follow the assembly instructions very closely and test fit everything before you go. All right, Frank, you're awesome. Okay, so Santucci, what do you got working on right now? Well, I got my mojo back. That's for sure. It's about my time. Mojo back because I got back on you guys at night and I finished a project I started in after Amps Nats in May that went 
side and didn't do anything. It was a 65 millimeter 41 inch mortar team. So it's two guys, two figures. It's an old JMD kit. It's repopped by Blitz out of France out the mortar. And they have it in 135th scale, I think, with the mortar. And I finished it after I got back from vacation. Yeah, vacation interrupted the mojo for a little bit, but I'm back. I got some figures on the table. Now I'm trying to finish up two Civil War figures for my Vargas Confederate Railgun so I can get that done. And I have two figures. One's an old warrior figure uh, where I put a uh, resi cast head on it, what they call lemon squeezer hats from pre-World War II. I have an Alpine figure similar. The uniforms are close to like 1939, 1940, and I put a lemon squeezer resi cast head on that one. They're primed and they're waiting for me to start painting because they're going to go with a vignette with BJ DeBecker's Panzer Concepts now out of production 12-inch mortar that Steve Adriano had built uh, a while back has done very well for him. So Rob, what's on your bench? So I got going. Let me I'm guess doing a stug. A, I'm doing a Ryefield stug. The, the, but the reasoning behind doing this stug was because it was going to be used as a, a basis to do kit reviews or like parts reviews for Panzer Work Designs. Because uh, I'm getting a bunch of the stuff, so I was using this kit to do it. But of course, it takes a world of its own. I just did all the weld beads over and things like that. So I'm also doing all the photo etch and doing a lot of extra stuff to it. So once I get this stuff from Panzerwork Designs, I'll have this model finished. All right, so we're going to move on from what's on our bench. And we're going to move into new kits in the news. We're going to start with Mr. Santucci. What's new kits in the news abbreviated? We're going to go quick because there's been a lot of drops. Let's start with the fact that IPMS Nationals is going on while we're recording and we're not there. While we're recording. Day two. So Daz Works, in conjunction with our good friend BJ DeBecker from Panzer Concepts, just dropped a big bomb that some of us have known coming. And it's a Vomag with an 88 millimeter anti-tank, you know, anti-aircraft gun on it. And so that should be ready later this year for purchase. Also, Andy's Hobbies made their announcement today at the IPMS show, the Nationals, where they have, in conjunction with TACOM and Andy's Hobbies, one is the M10 tank destroyer and the other is the Achilles. Those are the newest. And, of course, you know, Italeri just put out their August release. They've got uh, an Italian aircraft Machi. They've got Greif, and they have a Humvee, and they have automobiles coming out. We have also... A whole bunch of stuff from Mini Art. I'm going to save one of them for Frank because Frank's really excited about this, and I don't blame him. He's been begging for it. But Mini Art has now put out U.S. tank crew, uh, Northwest Europe. They put out, I believe, Czechoslovakian street signs, 1930s, 40s. They just released figure kits, waders, uh, plastic barrels and cans, another German tractor with a roof. D8506. They put out another three-wheeled vehicle, the German ones I mentioned in a few podcasts ago, the Tempo. This one is a leaf wagon or a milk truck. They just put out a Panzer 4H. Those are just some of the releases that are out. Right now, I think we're going to start to see what IPMS Nationals coming. We'll see more coming out. Uh, we'll see more coming in into the fall as we head into that season. So, you know, get your Christmas want lists going because there's going to be a lot of new kits hitting the market and some interesting ones. All right, awesome. Okay, Frankie B. You know, I just want to piggyback on what Steve Touche was saying. You know, this really is going to be an awesome fall and winter of building models. You've got Mini Art coming out with a lot of cool things. In addition to what they're coming out with, I'm not sure when the release date is going to be, but they are going to be doing a new Ben Hur trailer as well as the Water Buffalo. 
Now, these are World War II trailers. I've been harping on this for years. It's been in my top five, along with the M8 and a few other subjects like, hey, somebody please make these in styrene. The Ben-Hur one-ton cargo trailer, Talara has a set of these trailers, but they are post-World War II. The World War II trailers, uh, Mini Art should be making those available here pretty soon. And one of my stellar New kit release companies would be Resin Concepts. My friend Chris Bryan, he's working on a set of modular building ruins that they'll be debuting at the IPMS Nationals in San Marcos, Texas this weekend. He will have a couple of items that will be interchangeable with a lot of other items that they plan on doing on their website. So that's all I have. We'll go to you, Mr. Ryan. All right. So one of the things that got me into figures is always trying to get figures with my airplanes. Give a sense of scale. I have come across Legend Productions. I actually found this on Scalemates, by the way. Legend Productions has a, a whole line of 148th scale World War II Navy pilot and gunner sets. Now, these do look like they're the CAD design drawings that I'm seeing photos of. But there are super dynamic pictures of these kits. These figures look like they're in action. So I know there's one guy that I always see. I think he's in Australia. Always does his stuff. Wheels up. Always in flight. This would be perfect. It's a pilot and rear gunner. So something like a TVM Avenger or something like that. This uh, this one particular set I'm looking at. I'm actually going to get ready to put it into a shopping cart and buy this thing. Legend Productions. There's uh, at least three or four here that I see. Brand new tool 3D print. 48 scale Navy pilots in World War II era. So that's it, Justin. Anything else? That's all I've got. So, Toots, you wanted to say something else? Just one more. Airfix back in late July had this whole big announcement. We got something big coming, and they did. They released what they're going to have. It's a new tooling for 2023. It's the 148 scale Westland Sea King HAS 1, HSS 5, and the HU 5 configuration. So that's going to be released sometime this fall as well. So for your helicopter junkies, that's, you know, 148 scale Sea King, Westland Sea King coming out. There's a lot of hubbub on that one. All right. So, George, anything new in the news? I think the big thing is, is that, you know, over the past six months, there have been three companies that have kind of come back from the dead. Uh, Tiger Model Designs is just, you know, kind of released that's having a soft opening. Again, if you don't know who Tiger Model Designs is, go check them out. They're a resin manufacturer. They do a lot of detail sets, fixes for kits, any stuff like that. Joe Bankovic, he's down south somewhere. I think he was down in Florida. And it's nice to have him back because he's got a lot of really cool stuff. If you're a Sherman junkie like Frank is, you know, besides formations, you probably, he probably is single-handedly put one of Joe's kids through college now. I know there are a couple other companies that have, you know, kind of this percolations that are coming around. So if you guys know of any others, please just chime in. Well, Archer, you said, right? Archer might be coming back. Well, Archer, not in its original form, but like Archer stuff might be coming back. That's, that's the word on the street, right? Yeah, Rob, there was a post on some model railroading forums earlier this week that our archer should be coming back with a lot of their resin 3d printed decals so that's awesome if, if archer ever came back and we can get some dry transfers back from them not just water slides no offense georgie um no, you know. actually none <laughs> and you know just to jump in you know the decalcomaniacs thing i've always tried to stay out of the way of like the big stuff like the big guys and just do the really off the wall and hard to get stuff so niche yeah very niche the niche in the back of the niche 
<laughs> and since you brought up new kits, we're going away from back from the dead. We got a company that announced kind of abruptly in July that they're ceasing operations. They've been around for, uh, I think, over 25, 30 years, and that's ResiCast out of France, who's kind of fit in a niche with figures and aftermarkets and other stuff. That after 27, I think almost 30 years, they're calling it quits. We've seen a lot of that too. A lot of these mom and pops, after a while, they just can't compete. And I'm wondering, you know, it's a full time job, is what it becomes. Frule model too. Frules are going out. Yeah, but it seems that they've already got a buyer. I know that I heard that. I don't know where I heard that. I know that they were willing to sell the, all their molds. If you have the capital to be able to buy their stuff, it's a no brainer because there's a market for it. And they already have all this stuff. There's really not much you need. Like, they have like every model, every vehicle you could possibly need tracks for. They have like 180 different sets of tracks. It's a lot of tracks. The only thing that they haven't really expanded on was, you know, their 148 scale line. There's like about 10, maybe 11 sets of tracks. They have Panther KV, you know, Panzer 3, 4 tracks. I think Tiger 1 tracks. But that's it. Like, they never expanded on their 148. So. That's why I've been telling Chris from Demon Barber Designs, like, hey, there's a market for 148. He sent me tracks. They were outstanding, just as good as 135th. So I don't understand why these companies aren't doing 148 because there's a market for it. All right, so we're going to move on from new kits, and we're going to go to upcoming shows quickly. And there are a few upcoming shows. On August 19th, there's actually two shows. And the first show is the Mid-Iowa Modelers Expo 4 NNL. It's a Region 14 Mid-Central show, and it's hosted by the IPMS Glue Brothers chapter. It's going to be at 801 West 1st Street in Grimes, Iowa, at the Grimes United Methodist Church. So they're having a model show at a church. God, I don't know if I would be able to go in there. The, the freaking uh, holy water would stop boiling like in Devil's Advocate if I walked into that place. I believe when you see NNL, those are automotive-centric shows. Yes, the so. NNL is an automotive-centric show, yes. All right, the second show here is the Best of the West 2023. It's also on August 19th, 2023, and it's being hosted by the IPMS Las Vegas chapter, and that's a Region 8 show. And it's going to be at the Orleans Hotel and Casino, French Quarter Room, and it's on... 4500 West Tropicana Avenue in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, baby, yeah! <laughs> the third show is the Model Fest 2023, and it's in Liberty, Missouri, and this is on the Liberty Christian Fellowship Church. Here's another church having a show. I guess that's like a new thing now, where like you just have these IPMS or these model shows at these churches. Small towns probably don't have, like, large community halls, so the churches are the community halls in these small towns. And also is just that if you belong to the church, you probably can get it for next to nothing. Yep, that too. All right, well, it's on 1815 West Liberty Drive, Liberty, Missouri, and we'll do one last show here, and we'll do the MS Madness 3 on September 9th, 2023, and this is in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And it's hosted by the IPMS Midwest Scale Modelers. It's a Region 5 show. And it's being held at the Country Inns and Suites. And it's on 1650 Doris Drive on Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. And that's uh, that's it for August, Rob? Well, that was September. I admit, okay. There's a couple more in there, but I kind of like bypassed them because we're not going to tell everything. I did want to throw a shout out there to any, any listeners. I do plan on attending PenCon in Carlisle, PA, 
that is one where a bunch of insanity guys they do go to that's uh bob chubb that's his club that's their show john colasante actually sent me a message the other day he'd love to meet me uh over at that show frank i'm hoping maybe you could take that little drive up yeah that would be awesome that one is september 15 16 it's tooch yeah i'd love to have tooch out there too it's out at carlisle and that's at you typically held at the army heritage museum uh last year was a pretty fun show all right awesome all right thanks justin so we're going to move on to our last segment and that's social media anything we've seen on social media that we've liked that we want to give shout outs to anything that we've been impressed with or we want to just give you know acknowledgement to so george is anybody on social media facebook instagram any models out there that's uh, tickled your fancy that you'd like to give a shout out to? Actually, yes, but this is kind of not so much a modeler, but more of a craftsperson. Um, again, I was in Brazil back in December. We were actually were at a street fair in the Japanese section of town. I stumbled across this guy. His name is Jose Antonio Gomez. So it's Jose Antonio dot Gomez five sixty two. He's on Instagram, which seems to be the way that this hobby is going. But he builds civilian airliners out of, like, beer cans, stuff like that. He does a really great job. Um, I'll put a picture up on the Insanity Facebook page uh, with his info. But really nice guy. Ended up chatting with him for a while. We ended up swapping some tips and some of the things that I was working on. So that was pretty cool. Honestly, when it comes to social media, it's, you know, I kind of flip through and I see some stuff. And I know this is really, really old. But Jeff Lou's After the Battle of Hoth diorama, I just saw it recently, I think on, on your page, blew me away. You know, literally, I was scrolling and it was like, whoa. And I know that that was from Diorama Mag like two or three years ago or longer. But it was just gorgeous. And being I'm a Star Wars addict like you are, this was one of those things that just kind of like kind of stopped me in my tracks. And was like, damn. Awesome. Yeah, no, that hot diorama that was on the front cover of that diorama mag was amazing. All right, Justin, who do we have? Who do you got uh, social media-wise? Yeah, within our own group. I try to look for people posting up in our group. Met this guy at the MFCA show, spent some time with him, shared some scotch with the guy. Fantastic modeler. This stuff that he does is fantastic. Earlier, we were talking about the direction of the hobby heading towards Gundam. He is definitely a Gundam-centric modeler. Brian Denklau. He's also a host of the Built Sideways podcast. The range of stuff that he had at the MFCA show was phenomenal. And I'm looking at his welcome post when he first joined our group. And really what caught my eye was his A10 here. He's got a 48 scale A10. It's done in this, this awesome like cobalt blue and gunship gray camo. It's just yow. No word. It's awesome. Does he have a page or an Instagram? Well, he is Brian Denklau on Facebook, and I believe his Instagram handle is bro underscore builder on Instagram. But if you check out the Built Sideways podcast, he does mention his links there, but I'm pretty sure it's bro underscore builder. I also did want to welcome to the group and uh, give the shout out to Lincoln Wright. He's got his own group, Paint on Plastic. Uh, his YouTube page is Paint on Plastic by Lincoln Wright. This guy is a phenomenal machine Krieger builder. Uh, he's actually uh, number two, from what I understand, in the Machine and Krieger universe. He actually studied under the the creator of Machine and Krieger. He does Yokoyama-san. have a book coming out. What's that, George? I think his Yokoyama-san was his... Uh, yeah, yeah, oh. Kyle Yokoyama. He does have one book out already. It's a, a book all about the Fireball SG Machine and Krieger kit. 
And he's got another one coming out for the Luna, not the Luna Diver. I can't remember what it is, but I, it is on my list to uh, to pick up. So if you see Link lurking on our page, guys, everyone say hi to him. It's great stuff, and check out his YouTube page. He's a really, really nice guy. I've talked to him a couple of times. He is. We had a Machine and Krieger meeting at my house a bunch of years back, and he actually was in Japan and actually video conferenced in with us, and we chatted with him for a bit. He's just that awesome of a guy. Yeah. There it is. You got it, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I haven't read it yet. I'm still working my way through my books. It's, it's an awesome book. It, it really makes me want to do some more. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that's all I got, Rob. All right. So, Mr. Santucci, uh, who do we got on the social media front for you? Got two. I got a first uh, shout out to Simon Strange. He's on our page. I love his Hobby Boss Tiger 2 tank. You know, Simon's already been shouted out by Rob Adams. <laughs> he's getting two shout outs, this guy. He said, so what? <laughs> no, he's great, though. Simon's great. I'm it is. I love that Tiger 2. He uses the Royal Models tank crew and then the Stalingrad figures on it. And the tank is the vignette diorama. I mean, it just looks fantastic. Love the color. Love the features. Other one is Luke Carswell. Yeah, Luke is great. Rubicon models. Now, I know I had one of these come across my judging table at Amps Nats, and we looked it up. You think they're going to be simple. They're not. They're really good. It's an odd scale because it's a gaming scale. It's 156. He did this incredible vignette with his M113 ACAV. He mentioned that he had lots of scratch built. Of course, in that scale, 156, you're going to have to scratch build if you don't have interiors. I just love how it turned out. It, it caught my eye. It was one of the ones I liked very much so. It, it really came out well. And 156 scale, I mean, we, it's, you know, it's a little bigger than 172nd, but still. No, Luke is top notch. Very, very good builder. He's a very good painter, excellent model. Um, nice to have him in the group, and he participates a lot, too. So, All right, Frankie Blanton. You know, looking around on social media, my, one of my favorite sites on Facebook is Modeling the Sherman Tank in Scale. They have an awesome amount of builders there doing all kinds of conversion work on Shermans, using everybody's parts from Tamiya to formations, to whatever. You can find them on Facebook. Also, Andy McRae, who is one of the moderators, along with Ian Hanratty, who is the creator of the site. I find that page to be full of a lot of Sherman aficionados that like to hang out with and talk everything about Shermans. Also, the second website I'd like to focus on would be Model Paint Solutions. Dr. John Miller, KA, Dr. Strange Brush. He gives a lot of great information on airbrush cleaning, airbrush maintenance, and painting with different types of paints, whether it's enamel, lacquers, or everyone's favorites, acrylics with airbrushing. Uh, you can find him on Dr. Strange Brush on Facebook. All right, great. Thanks, Frankie. Yeah, I'll check him out. All right, so for me, I got two. And I got to give these guys shout outs. I've spoken about them before on some previous podcasts, but I want to bring them up again. So for me, the first shout out goes to Jackson Stanton because I think Jackson is an amazing modeler. He's a great kid. And I call him a kid because to us, he's a kid. He's in his early 20s. So when you're hitting 50, you're a kid. But He's amazing. I mean, his paintwork, his paint jobs are amazing. Recently, Jackson had done that the M6A1 heavy tank. It's amazing. I mean, he took a kit that a lot of people steer away from and just hit it out of the park. And his photography is, like, amazing. I don't know what he does for his photography, 
but it's amazing. And I'm lucky enough that I'm going to be collaborating on a few projects with Jackson in the future for the magazine. So I'm going to do some builds and I'm going to give him the, the models at the Amps Nationals in South Bend. God willing, there's no issues of getting there. So I'm happy that I'm going to be collaborating with Jackson. He also just recently did, I don't know if you saw it, Frankie Blanton, it's right up your alley, was the AFV Club Churchill Mark III. Um, I know he brought this stuff to the Nationals. Amazing. I mean, the paint job and the paint work that he does, the modulation, the weathering, it's just like, it's just enough. He, his weathering is just, it's like, it's not overdone. You know, some people don't weather enough. Some people weather too much. He just finds a happy medium between his airbrushing and his weathering to just have his stuff to stand out. He's amazing. So my first shout out goes to Jackson Stanton. Jackson, you're, you're the man. You know, I think a lot about you, man. You're, you're a great modeler. And I just want you to keep going. Um, and the second shout out is his partner in crime. You know, sometimes you can't speak about Jackson without this other guy because they're good friends. And the other one's Zach Grizzle. Most people know Zach. Zach actually took a best of at the Amps Nationals this past year for his tractor vignette. Amazing. Zach is another amazing modeler. Him and Jackson, like, are good friends. They have very similar modeling styles, I think. So, oh, I meant, I tried to say that Jackson's uh, modeling page is M36 Modeling. And Zach's modeling page is easy. It's Grizz Modeling, just with two Zs. And if you look at Grizz's most recent stuff, him too. He's, like, banging out of a park. He just recently did also, he did another Churchill himself, but this was a Mark IV. His build knocked it out of the park. He also did a figure, an Alpine figure. He did a U.S. Army figure. And I know he's bringing this to the Nationals. I know on his page, he actually talked about what you talked about, Justin, that zenithal lighting, whatever yeah. it's called, technique. But if you go on Zach's Grizz modeling page and you see this figure that he painted with the groundwork, it's like on a slope. It's friggin' amazing. And these guys are like in their early 20s, man. Like George Amon can barely put two pieces of plastic together at 22 years old. You know, get my name guys, right for Christ's sake. I mean, and, and these guys are winning best ofs at nationals. I mean, and I can't see how they're not winning. I mean, know they're at the nationals right now in Texas. I mean, I would be shocked if either of these guys doesn't win something pretty well done at that show because these two guys, amazing. So, my shout outs go to Jackson, they go to Zach, and keep trucking, guys. And I look forward to collaborating with Jackson and hopefully with Grizz in the future. And I just want to give them shout outs, okay? All right, so I think that uh, we covered a lot on the show. You know, it was great talking to George. There was a lot of drinking, too. (laughs) But I want to give a shout-out to George for being our special guest to talk about his time in the hobby and amps, as well as his decal Comaniacs decal store, as well as Frankie Blanton filling in for Rob Adams. We had some good discussions about modeling on the go, as well as scale mates, which is another thing, as well as new kits in the news. So again, I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope it was enjoyable. And on that note, we're going to sign off. And again, I'm Rob Riviezo. Um, we have Justin Ryan. Have a great night, guys. Keep on trucking. Steve Santucci. Adios. George Ironman. Hasta la bye-bye. And Frankie Blanton. Be good to one another, everybody. All right. And you guys can catch us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, as well as Google Podcasts. And we'll catch you next time.
modeling on the road. Uh, I did want to give a shout out to a little hobby shop I found in uh, Myrtle Beach. Hold on, can I say something, Justin? Hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, what you got? What you got? You fucking guy getting fucking mouth filled with food. You're spitting (laughs) food as you're talking. You want to get a point out. You can't you didn't see his just kids come swallow down and your food, food before you start. It's a podcast. It's, you can take as much time as you want. It's edited. It's live. I wanted to catch it before you moved on. We're I not going to we move on. You can, we can just shut up for five seconds. You can get your point course. You fucking look like a Gavone. Is anybody <laughs> You. You got fucking crumbs in your beard. No, I do not. I just you do. It. What did the kids bring down to you? What did you? What, what are you eating? Hold on. What are you eating? Tell me what you're eating. So the uh what they, are you eating? Uh nothing now, but I will tell you what I just consumed. What did you just consume? <laughs> they, they went out to uh, a dim sum restaurant and they were like, Dad, you gotta have this bun. I don't even know what it was called, a piggy bun. But yeah, but couldn't you just fucking swallow it before you start talking? All right, it is it is out of my mouth. It is now in my gullet. May I speak? All right, so hold on. <laughs> this is obviously gonna be edited. This will be an outtake, obviously. <laughs> obviously. It'll be a four-day podcast, dude. Holy shit, man. We're going to start, and then just give me... Fucking wife is sneezing up there. Did you hear her? I'm gonna... No. Oh, you're alone. <laughs> Teachers got to stick together. Give her some Irish kisses, Rob. You know? Oh, God. Please, God, help me. <laughs> what was that thing they used to talk about? The, the, the rule of thumb? Like you could beat your wife as long as the stick wasn't as thick yeah. as your thumb. No thicker than your mm-hmm. thumb. Oh, why can't we go back to the? Can it be? What did they say in uh, in Boondock Saints? It should have been rule of wrist. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, these women. You know, you gave them the right to vote. Right. It's been all downhill since 1923. Or what was it? Was it 21 or 23? Does it matter? Toots. When did they get the right to vote? Uh, 1920. God, 20. Jesus Christ. Even it's been worse. downhill. It's been gone 103 years. Is fucking that's that's was the if people want to know the downfall of American civilization, 1920. But did I just say anything really bad, Justin? Was that bad to say? I don't think so. I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, it's it's a it's like something that everybody does in life, and you do it what works for you. So I just right. want people to know that, right? Some people uh, have bidets. Exactly. Some people <laughs> like really rough toilet paper. Some people like soft toilet paper. Some like it airbrushed and arty. See, like in my house, I like the soft toilet paper. My wife likes the rough toilet paper. So upstairs in her bathroom has got the rough stuff. I got the soft stuff. (laughs) So when I got to go upstairs sometimes and I go, Jesus, man, I got to use the rough stuff because it doesn't work for me. He likes the soft stuff. His wife likes the rough stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It depends on the day, but he's good. So we're going to... Hold on a minute. I got to take a break. You can't even say that with a straight face. No, man. <laughs> I'm watching Santucci because he's fucking half drunk. Did you see my face when I was talking about I mentioned the front to wipe? Well, he didn't know what I was going to say. And I said front to back wiper, and he broke in hysterics and fucking almost fell off his chair. <laughs> All right, I love so you, man. I clean up all my parts. I put them in baggies, but I do grunt work. Like I build Breathing tracks loud, at work. I'm tr- you know what? This is my time, guys. Yeah, I let you talk. Can I talk? Christ. See what happens when you let... You know what? I knew this was going to happen during this podcast. Rob, can we have a drink during the podcast? One beer. I said, you can have a drink. 
Now it turned to two drinks and turned to three drinks. And now Frank Blanton's taking his shirt off. This is what happens here. Yes, Dad. Sorry. Rob, you're like the teetotal totalitarian. I'm sorry, Daddy. No, hold He's on. Let me, his I'm, arms crossed. He's so serious. I'm not being serious. Yeah. I'm telling a story. That's the fe- that's defensive body language. Now, well, anyway, no, I'm sitting like Wait, this. Wait, hold on. I'm... My wife asked earlier today, "Is Rob anal?" I said, "No, he can't be. He only has half a colon." That's true. I only got half a colon. <laughs> Get through this. Right. <laughs> Past Justin's bedtime. I've got right. poop. <laughs> he's prairie dogging. He, he's got a turtle poking its head out. <laughs> but dad, I'm, I'm not, my dogging. ass is hurting me right now, but I'm not turtling. All right. So the second show is the best of the West. <laughs> Frank is losing. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping that this was going to be an easy. This is going to take me days and days and days. <laughs> Sorry, Rob. <laughs> Frank, don't puke on the floor, man. Your wife is going to get you. And, and I'll get a text from Justin. Not to sound pushy, but you know when the podcast is going to be done? Now that happened Never. once. Stop. All right? This is why it takes fucking forever to do this shit, because you guys don't fucking behave yourselves. <laughs>